0: touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey there, this is Jonathan Strickland and you are listening to Tech Stuff. And guys, I've got a treat for you today. So a couple of weeks ago, a listener alerted me to the fact that five years ago, on uh, I think it was August 10th, 2011, we published an episode titled What will the internet be like in 5 years. My co-host at the time, Chris Pallette, and I sat down and we put on our prognosticator hats and we started making wild guesses at what the internet will be like, and you'll never believe how close we got. Actually, you will believe it because we're going to rerun that episode. But stay tuned because at the end, I got a little bit more to say. So enjoy this classic episode and keep score. I think you'll be surprised. So, um, internet, five years. How are we going to interact with it?
0: Go. Uh, that's a good question. Now, um, it, it, would, it would be easy for me to say that, uh, that tablets are, um, going to be there yeah simply because they're so hot right now i i definitely think mobile yes. is is primarily the way people are are going now mm-hmm. um don't get the impression that um i have given up on uh computers specifically desktop computers because i still enjoy not having to haul around a lot of technology with me and and having just a a small device mm-hmm. um but i enjoy having the uh the real estate of a nice giant screen now um you know, but I think mobile is, is the way, I think people want to be able to get stuff anywhere and everywhere. So people are going to be designing content, um, to fit multiple needs.
1: Yeah. We're already seeing a lot of that today where you see a lot of websites that have a mobile version and a full version. And then we, we're seeing more and more smartphones that just bypass the mobile version, go straight to the full version because they are capable of, of displaying an entire web page upon their, you know, their screens, and of course, tablets, same sort of thing. Uh, I, I, agree. I think that the internet in five years will be much more pervasive in mm-hmm. the sense that, uh, mostly from the, the stuff that we tend to carry with us, but, uh, that we'll be able to, Go from place to place and be able to tag it, tap into the internet, pretty much anywhere we go. I mean, that's almost the case now as it is, but it should be even more so in the future. That we'll get to a point where it'll be really unusual when you're in a space where you cannot access the internet. At least any place when you're on land. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe when you're like out at sea or something, that might still be kind of unusual unless you happen to have a, a some sort of satellite modem, but. Um, Otherwise, uh, I think, uh, yeah, you'll pretty much have the Internet at your fingertips uh, from a a variety of devices. And we're talking about five years from now. So if you think about it, the iPhone came out in 2007. Mm -hmm. So as of the recording of this podcast, that was four years ago. And already I think you could argue that the iPhone has had a huge impact on at least the way we consume the Internet Mm -hmm. and and also how uh, developers uh, create applications for the internet. Uh, some of the, a lot of the things that are on the iPhone and on Android and on other smartphone operating systems as well, um, they aren't necessarily a web browser, but they do tie into the internet in some way. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, like for example, with Google, I have Google Navigator. Yeah. And that uses Google Maps and it uses uh, a GPS in order to help me navigate through, uh, to a destination. Yeah. Um, you know that's something that we wouldn't have really thought about, you know, ten years ago. Right. Uh, then we started getting GPS units to really hit the market, and now smartphones are kind of displacing those. So five years from now, I, I imagine that um, smartphones will be pretty much the 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 most common kind of mobile device that people will be carrying around with yeah. them, capable mm-hmm. of that. Uh, we may finally start seeing some things like some smartwatches that are actually worth purchasing. I mean there's been smart watches in the past that have been kind of interesting but just haven't quite worked and i think part of that is you know there are a lot of issues you got to work around like how how do you miniaturize the the components to that size mm-hmm. where it's still a compelling product right
0: right and and i think that's one of those things too i where years ago people were talking about how everything was going miniaturized and now that we have smartphones we won't need laptops and i and I, I know I'm not the only person who likes a nice big screen when you're actually doing work.
1: Not to mention a nice big keyboard.
0: Yes. And and the the truth of the matter is I think that um, there's a certain practical point. It's not that we can't make a, a smart watch that would do those kinds of things. I think the practical reality is that at a certain point it's kind of difficult to use, especially with fat fingers like mine. Uh, something that has a, a touch screen that 's that small, yeah and, um, and
1: voice input still isn 't quite there yet yeah it 's close google 's done a really good job with voice input i mean i 'm very impressed with what they 've done so far, and i 'm sure that five years from now it'll probably be really phenomenal where yeah. uh navigating by voice will be quite easy i it's it's hard for us to make that leap right now because it 's so it seems so foreign to to think about talking to a computer, especially if you're talking about any sort of, you're in a public place or you're, say, in an office at work
0: or whatever. Or you have an accent that may be unreadable to,
1: or you want to look up something that is really, uh, personal, yeah, like some sort of medical issue, you know, yeah. that sort of stuff you don't want to be talking out loud you know. to your machine. So mm-hmm. clearly the physical input is never going to completely go away unless we finally get to a point where we can just telepathically interact with our devices, which is not going to happen in five years. There's one of my solid predictions there. Mm-hmm. We are not going to have a point where we have mind-controlled devices in five years. Um, so... It's more pervasive. We've got mm-hmm. more access. Uh, I actually see some more uh, overlapping technologies coming in. Possibly, possibly some new technologies. But really, there's the stuff that I'm imagining is we're totally capable of doing right now, mm-hmm. and that is having um, context-specific internet. Uh, uh, well, uh, attractions or, or situations or circumstances. What I mean by that is that you could create a, uh, an application, let's say, mm-hmm. that reacts to, uh, signals spe- sent on a specific wavelength. Okay. And then you create transmitters that transmit things on that wavelength so mm-hmm. that when you come into the proximity of that transmitter, then your device begins to interact with it in whatever way you had uh, designed, right? And and here's an easy example of this because these things exist already. Uh, an example of this is Pal Mickey. Have you heard about Pal Mickey at Disney World?
0: I, I've I've heard about it, but I don't know a lot about it.
1: Okay, so Pal Mickey is this idea that Disney came up with a couple of years ago, where they have the Mickey Mouse doll, and inside there is a receiver, and the receiver picks up radio signals as you get close enough you know when you get within range the uh, the receiver picks up the signal and makes pal mickey uh, tell you something and let's say that you're at one of the disney parks and you're walking around well they they make the transmitters They, they only give him enough power to transmit within a certain range. So that way you're not getting all these transmissions. All, you know, Mickey doesn't go into seizures as soon as you walk through the, uh, (laughs) the Magic Kingdom gates. Right. Um, but when you get close enough, Mickey will make a little noise. You press, press, I think, one of his hands and then he says, uh, the information. Like he might tell you how long the wait is for the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. Or Mm -hmm. he might give you a little bit of trivia information about one of the buildings you're passing. Mm -hmm. And, it's all based upon just radio waves. There's no no real Internet involved here. Mm-hmm. But there's no reason why you couldn't have that connected with the Internet, where you have these transmitters that are not necessarily meant to transmit signals across an entire city, but maybe just like a general area around the building that they are attached to, mm-hmm. and that it could give you updated information about stuff. Let's say a store sale goes on, and you've got this app that alerts alerts you when a sale starts. And you could even have... Specific sales happening within, oh, like a, a two-hour range, and it's just if you happen to be in the area that you find out about it. Mm-hmm. And this is a way of of kind of adding more uh, of uh, that sort of engagement thing we've talked about in previous episodes. Like I see that as being a possibility, where we have not just a pervasive internet, but a contextual internet as well. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's it's timely. A lot of the stuff we see on the internet is designed to be what we call evergreen. Yeah, we call it that here at How Stuff Works all the time. An evergreen piece of content is something that should be relevant uh, today, and it should be relevant five years from now. It should be relevant ten years from now. You should be always be able to go back to that piece of content, and it means exactly what it needs to mean uh and then there's other content that we create that is very timely that you know after after a few months it may not have the impact that it once had or it might need to be updated on a near constant basis
0: like most of the stuff that
1: is in the tech channels in the tech yes channels. yes yeah cuz here's the funny thing about technology it keeps on changing
0: yep now i think um i think location based services too yeah um you know, there there are millions of people with smartphones, but it's really only scratching the surface of the population in general. I think now that they're starting to become more affordable, um, there's real competition in the, the smartphone market for consumers, um, and the cost of, of providing data goes down. Um, you know, I think it'll be more uh, compelling for people to sign on to location-based services and, uh, you know, get offers as they're walking by and subscribe to that. too. Right. Uh, I don't know so much about augmented reality. Um, partially I think, because, I mean, I think it'll become more popular, but yeah. I still don't think it's going to become dominant simply because it requires you to look around with your yeah. phone and you could trip and fall.
1: Yeah, I mean, if, I if we, it's... if we ever do get to a point where you can have those glasses that, hmm. that do the, yeah. that do the transparent display where you can see the, the display of information on your glasses. Like uh, a heads up display. Yeah, essentially a heads up display for, for, you know, for just, just, the exact, just looking around and seeing what that, their restaurant's rated as. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a, uh, We've been promised that for a while. It's almost because, it's almost starting to enter the realm of jetpacks and flying cars. Yeah, uh, I know. I know that there are jetpacks and flying cars, but they're not predominant. Right? They're not everywhere. <laughs> so right. That's what I'm talking about. Um, also, I just think that, uh, again, you yeah, um, know, unless it's something that can be built into your existing eyewear, I just don't see it being that compelling, just cause uh, it means more people are like, well great, now there's another thing I gotta buy and wear, you know?
0: I, I wish I could have a show of hands, uh, but I can't, and, and you don't need to email, but I was just thinking, how many people heard you say eyewear and thought, I, capital L- w- W-E-A-R, <laughs> capital <laughs> instead I- of w- E-Y? Well, you know,
1: if Apple does come out with, Glasses? Um, With glasses. They will call it eyewear. Probably. Um, And they should pay me. Uh, it's trademarked. (laughs) Jonathan Strickland. Not really trademarked. Yeah, so uh, I think, uh, I think we might actually see other internet capable devices really starting to, to, to play a part. I mean, we've, at CES of 2011, there were a lot of, uh, of appliances that were internet
0: capable. The internet of things.
1: Yeah, so this, this would be the case of having other things on the internet besides computers uh mobile devices and that kind of thing it would be more like things like refrigerators and um, washers and dryers and uh, a lot of this is you know goes into home automation some of it is is just uh, information uh management like let's say you want to manage the list of things that are in your refrigerator mm-hmm. so that when you go shopping you know you know what you need to pick up that sort of stuff uh I think within five years, we'll probably see a lot more of that. Um, I don't know that it'll again be the dominant uh, kind of appliance on the market. I think that'll still be sort of a, I think it'll still be somewhat of a niche market. Maybe, maybe a larger niche than it is right now. Yeah. But I don't think of it. I don't think that'll be, I don't think you would walk into an appliance store and, and 90% of the stuff you see would be internet capable.
0: Well, here's, here's a thought on that. They've been predicting this for years. Right. We were all going to have radio frequency identification tags, RFID tags, inside all of our products. So you can have all your stuff in the fridge, and the fridge is able to identify... What's in there? And when you bought it? And when you bought it, and there would be a screen up on the on the the front of the fridge that says, "Hey, you know what? You could make this for dinner because you have all the ingredients you need to make this, or you could make that, and it will give you recipes and things, which is a really neat idea." Yeah. But they've been again predicting this for years. Yeah, and it might and also it just, say it hasn't happened yet. It might
1: also say the peaches are restless. You need to throw them out.
0: <laughs> the peaches are restless. One of them growled at me. Yeah, that's when potato salad goes bad. Yeah, this thing, <laughs> the technology to do this isn't hasn't been out of the realm of possibility for for several years. Yeah, it's I mean just, this is doable, but we're a, not doing it.
1: It's yeah, it's a adop- it's an adoption thing. I mean, you know, in some cases you've got companies that are trying to create products for which there is no demand, and then they're trying to generate the demand for that product, and sometimes that works like you know you could argue that Steve Jobs does that all the time
0: well he he you know the the iPad is yeah. a clear example of this and i still um when it first came out i saw a lot of criticism that it was a product that that no one needed right. and which is still technically true nobody needs a tablet well okay few people need a tablet let's say that um there are there are some some uh, roles that really could use a small computing device like that so right. but for a lot of people it's a it's something they want yeah, And uh, you know now that it's been a year later, as of the time we've recorded this, almost a year and a half after the iPad's release, there are lots of different kinds of tablets on the market. The tablet market is taking off, sort of like the netbook market did um, a few years ago. And I saw criticism uh, probably about two or three months before we recorded this. We were saying, well, you know, I still don't think there's any reason why anyone needs a tablet. Most of the people I see who say they they have really integrated a tablet into their lifestyle bought one and then found a use for it but i would argue that that's the way it was with personal computers back in the day and i think i don't think tablets are going away simply because i think people who buy them you know now that there is a market for it people are going to start creating more useful software for it and i think people will start using their tablets to do more Creative work than they used to be able to do simply because there wasn't software for it on the initi- on the initial release of these devices, and there will be now that now that uh, that's coming out. There already is quite a bit of of creative software, and I think they're just going to be more. It's just going to be another tier of products in between smartphones and computers.
1: I, I think that there's also the potential that we could see even more uh, products introduced into that space. That don't fit the tablet model or the smartphone model. Sure. I mean, it's hard to say because it's five years from now. And there's a lot of smart people working on these things and who knows who could come up with the next big thing. I mean, I mentioned smartwatches, which could fit into that category. Yeah. But, but for example, here's, here's just something just out of the blue. Let's say that someone decides to create a device that is uh, similar to a smartphone, but is essentially a, uh, uh, kind of the 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 step between smartphone and a um, MP3 player. So mm-hmm. not a, not an iPod Touch, which you could argue is kind of in that realm too, but more about it's more focused just on the music. So in other words, you create a device that is um, specifically designed to help you tap into the streaming music services that are out there. So. You know, there's smartphones that can do this as well. So you could argue, well, maybe there's not a market for this. But then you could say, well, you might want to have one of these devices that doesn't run quite as many applications, is not as processor intensive, doesn't run down the battery as quickly, mm-hmm. doesn't, doesn't tax your smartphone's battery at all. That would let you tap into these massive cloud storage services, things like Google Music or Amazon or iTunes, the iCloud. Um, or Spotify, any of these sort of services where you could stream or uh, or otherwise consume the music on this device without it affecting your other devices. Mm-hmm. Because that's, I mean, I have a smartphone that's capable of doing these sort of things, but I rarely use those capabilities because it runs down the battery. Right. And I don't want, you know, I I want to have my phone available in case I want to, for some reason, make a phone call. So... I could see that sort of thing becoming a thing where, where the next MP3 player isn't necessarily focused on how many songs it can store, but rather its access to various streaming services or, or cloud storage services. Uh, that's a possibility. Um, so we, we talked about mobility. We've talked about a lot more, uh, of, uh, app appliances that would be uh, connected to the internet. I mean, you can, you're starting to see that already with cars as well, where you have cars that don't necessarily Connect directly to the Internet, but when you park them in your garage, they can sync up via Bluetooth or some other method to your home network, and you can transfer data back and forth across, um, usually music, but you can do other things as well.
0: Well, you can also have equipment put in your car to make a hotspot too.
1: Yeah, so we're probably going to see a lot more of that as well. We're, you know, again, the ubiquitous access. Uh, so that's, that's kind of like the shiny happy version of what the internet could be like in five years and how we would access the internet. I, I don't see it as necessarily being a total revolution from the way we're doing it now, but probably, um, a much more pervasive way of what we do now. Let's talk about some possible dark side elements to what the internet could be like in five years. Okay, So dark side number one, and this is a big one, is that we could see internet service providers, ISPs, start to um, limit the kinds of of services and, and content you have access to. In other words, let's say that uh, uh, this is essentially the, the scenario where net neutrality is no longer even... A concept It's gone. In this mm-hmm. case, you have uh, ISPs that are able to strike up partnerships, let's say, with various content providers and service providers. Mm-hmm. In theory, now, not that I would ever expect this to happen, but in theory, let you could have a, a particular Internet service provider partner with, say, Facebook. Okay. And then anyone who is a customer of that ISP has access to Facebook. Anyone who is not a customer with that ISP doesn't. Right. I mean, that's, that's an extreme example that I don't think could ever happen. Cause Facebook, of course, is so huge. It's got, you know, way more subscribers than, uh, you would ever see be t- uh, tied to a specific provider. But I could easily see that for, for emerging services and content. Mm-hmm. So, uh, or let's say that the internet service providers that are also cable companies. Mm-hmm. Limit it so that you can only access their content that they create through their ISP. Mm-hmm. So if you are on ISP B and you want to see the content that ISP A creates through its cable company uh, part of its corporation, you're out of luck. Mm-hmm. At least you can't see it online. Um, we're starting to see some of that emerge right now. Now, whether or not that continues is another question, but it could very well be that within five years, your experience on the internet is completely dictated by the internet service provider you belong to, Mm -hmm. or cell phone carrier in that case, because... It may be that you have one kind of internet when you get home because you are, you're a customer of one ISP and you have a different kind of internet when you access it on your phone because you belong, you know, you've got a contract with a specific cell phone carrier.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And that would be crazy really because you could think like, oh, I'll, I'll, this video is great, but I'll watch it when I get home. And then you realize, oh, I can't access it at home because my ISP doesn't have a deal with that particular content provider.
0: Yeah. I think it's more likely that you'll see throttling. Um like if you have if you want to use a particular streaming radio radio uh service and you uh are on a cable company that doesn't have a deal with that yeah. uh provider and perhaps they have a deal uh with the DSL provider in your area, well that means that they're going to give they you know, per the agreement they're going to give priority to their own customers. And then you may experience hiccuping or delays or, or problems with the service.
1: You might see that, that sign saying, Netflix is adjusting your buffering rate because your internet connection is slower.
0: <laughs> yes. Um, and that's another, that's another issue too. I think that is possible to see, um, talking about depending on your ISP or your, your provider, um, for cell phone services. Uh, so many of them now for both are instituting data caps. Yeah. So I think it is very possible that in the future, um, you know, it's it's funny because the services are all working toward unlimited models. Like uh, if you subscribe to Netflix streaming. Um, yeah, the unlimited. You have you can, unlimited. You can
1: watch as many movies as you can pack in during y- each month.
0: Yep, and that goes for a lot of the other services too. Yeah. Um, you know, you can you can stream unlimited music from a lot of places. Yep. Um, and there's of course plenty of other ways to use lots of bandwidth. Um, so you know they're they're opening those services up to an unlimited all you can eat model for you know a set price, mm-hmm. and people who really use them, say families, you know, who have multiple people watching multiple shows in multiple rooms, you know, that's a great way to use a ton of bandwidth. Yeah. Uh, you know, of course they're they're. um Arguments that say it's really just the people who are downloading lots of stuff illegally. Um, but there, but there's, there's there are a lot so of people who use a lot of bandwidth. There's here. so
1: many legitimate ways to use a lot of bandwidth now. Yeah. I mean, before before there were these these venues where you could get to this content in a legal way. Maybe you could make the argument that the people who were eating up all the bandwidth were pirates. But I don't think that's the case today.
0: Well, a lot of them say right now. The people who are using the bandwidth that gets them into trouble are, they're, they're a small minority of people. Like only, I'm I'm making up a number because I haven't seen it in a while, but the last time I looked, it was, they were saying something like three to five percent of their customers. They're saying, oh, no, 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 these bandwidth caps don't affect the majority of our customers. But the thing is, the services themselves are encouraging us to use as much data as we can take. And the broad, the, uh, providers are all starting to cap their, uh, services, not all of them, but a a lot of them are. And, uh, in some cases they're not making it clear to subscribers exactly how much data they're using and how much is going to put them in trouble. Right. So I think it, it, within the next five years, you're going to start to see that clash, especially because broadband penetration is still somewhat limited in the United States. Speeds are somewhat slower here than in other places. And, um, you know, I think as these things ratchet up and people are encouraging us to use more data, this is going to come into conflict and, and the providers are going to hear from their customers how unhappy they are with the service because, you know, hey, you say I can use, you know, all this data and it's, and it's supposed to be such a fast network. And when I actually try to use it, I can't.
1: Yeah. It'll also be interesting to see if ISPs, if they do create this, this sort of compartmentalized, uh, Internet, in, in which case, really, we can't even call it the Internet anymore, because the Internet is supposed to be the global network of networks. Yes. And if we're talking about ISPs each creating their own, then they all just become networks. Yeah. You know, it might become Internet with a lowercase i as opposed to Internet, internet with the uppercase i.
0: So instead of being a joke, we will, re- we will really be talking about the Internets.
1: Yeah. It really will be the Internets. Which one do you have? Um there's also the possibility that some of these ISPs and they, a lot of these companies have tried this already. Will try to make their own services that that mimic or replace the services from other uh, uh, providers out there, not just ISPs but other companies as well. So let's say that you know ISP A decides to come up with its own version of Twitter, and uh, and then and then doesn't allow uh, you to access Twitter on its on its services. Um, and instead encourages you to use this other one. And that's another way that it, this stuff could get further fragmented. I don't think it would ever happen, but it's possible. Um, another thing we might see are, are we've seen already, I, I'm curious to find out if within five years, if it's proven to be a successful uh, campaign or not, are, are paywalls. Mm-hmm. And, of course, paywall is where you uh, you, you can't have access to a particular site's content until after you pay a subscription fee.
0: Right. So if you want to read, uh, as an example, a current example, the New York Times, yeah. there are a certain amount of, there's a certain number of articles that you can read for free. Per month. Per month. And then after that, you are asked to go ahead and subscribe. The Wall Street Journal... Same. On the other hand, yeah. I mean there there's certain act, content that you can get depending on how you're you're doing it. But yeah. um for the most part you have to pay yeah, if you're no. if you're gonna do that. Now some I think it'll be more common um, paywall or no, I I mean I think uh or whether they succeed in in, in general, I would say. I think you're gonna see a lot of um maybe hybrid subscriptions. Like, for example, Wired Magazine right now, mm-hmm. if you are a print subscriber, I've been a print subscriber for many years, um, you can also, uh, and this is a, a fairly recent uh, development as of the time of recording this, you can also, if you have an iPad, as I do, you can download the issues you have uh, been subscribing to. So now right. I get all of the, the digital issues free because I am a print subscriber. Yeah. And Technically I think you're that'll... not getting
1: them free. They're just included in your subscription. Right.
0: Well I'm I'm getting them at no extra cost because right. at one point Wired the online app required you to pay regardless of whether or not you were a print subscriber. Gotcha. So I am getting it as a, a benefit of my subscription, I get both versions of, of that. And I think that's probably going to become more common because I think the tablet was at one point considered the uh you know the saving Grace for magazines and newspapers, yep. and I think people do enjoy reading some of that content in that format. However, people who are—I've seen it pretty much with regard to just about every magazine that has a subscription mm-hmm. available. Hey, why are you charging me for this digital version? I'm already a subscriber to right. the print version. Can't I have both? You know, I think there are a lot of people who'd be willing to say, "Yeah, okay, I'll give you an extra two bucks or five bucks." You know, yeah, give give me both because I like both. Um, and, and, you know... So it, I think, you know...
1: I think what will be interesting to see, too, is within the next five years, if uh, there's a, a a related model that I think uh, it'll be interesting to see if it survives or not, which is the model that uh, companies like um, HBO is, yeah. mm-hmm. where... You know, you can get HBO content online, but only if you are a customer of a cable company and you have HBO as part of your
0: service. Yeah, CNN does that too now.
1: Yeah, does it?
0: Yeah. Wow. I think. Interesting. Now I'm going to have to look that up.
1: Uh, It just surprised me because, I mean, it's been a while since I've been to that site, but just, really?
0: The last time I went to uh, CNN.com, they had updated their video, and this is, again, very recent, I think within the last two or three weeks before we recorded this, Mm -hmm. if you want to access the video... Um, you sign in as a, you know, to your, ah. your provider and they will say, okay, now, now you have access to right, right. Like, the video uh, online because so, you're already a subscriber.
1: Right. So it'll be interesting, interesting to see if that works or if HBO decides to, to open it up a little bit where, I, I mean, I would imagine it will always be a subscription service. It's never going to be free necessarily, but that you will not nece- you won't have to be a cable company, uh, customer in order to, um, to get access to that 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 content, uh, I know there are a lot of people who have cut the cord who would love to have access to things like HBO original programming. I mean, they're all screaming for Game of Thrones, but they can't watch it because they don't have a subscription. You know, they they don't they don't have a cable company, um, they're not they don't have a cable TV subscription. They don't have HBO, so therefore they cannot access that material, even if they wanted you know had some online method uh it's unavailable to them because they have to be a pre-existing customer before they can also get it online. Uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: It'll be interesting interesting to see if that lives for five years or if that if that model goes away. Um, I can imagine a lot of cable companies trying very, very hard to keep that model going because it's an incentive for customers to remain with cable companies um if that if that were gone if uh you could subscribe to say game of thrones and you know you pay a certain subscription fee and uh that was it um i think that you'd see even more people cutting the cord which would upset cable companies quite a bit
0: mhm yeah i verified that uh, uh as of mid july 2011 like if you want to use cnn cnn video on your ios device um that you have to basically prove that you're uh, a subscriber to certain pay tv providers and that's uh, you know there are a certain list of them but they're some of the biggies um but yeah i i, I think that model would be more pro- um palatable to people yeah. to say you know hey yeah I, i'm already paying you something you know so that that's a little bit more tolerable that it's behind a wall but yeah it's still a still an issue for a lot of people and there's still a lot of people who don't have uh you know access to the service at home or can't get it and you know still have to come in somehow so yeah
1: yeah so I mean it'll be interesting to see i think um I'm hoping that the shiny happy version of the internet will be the one that we have it'll probably be somewhere in between like this this crazy pervasive internet where we everything's at our fingertips and this walled off internet where everything is behind a a a gate, and we have to pay to get in. I'm sure it'll be some combination of the two. It's not going to be one or the other.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's the Internet is a, an evolving thing. You know, its it's earliest incarnations were something the public were completely unaware of. Yep. I, think, I think a lot of people still some get of, the idea some that of it's... my
1: relatives are still completely unaware of it.
0: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think What's a lot of people... What's
1: this Yahoo thing I keep hearing about?
0: ...are still unaware that there was life before Yahoo... You uh, know, for hoo. the internet. Okay, yeah, that's trademarked. Yeah, whatever. Um, So anyhow.
1: It's free advertising.
0: Yeah. Until they sue us.
1: For free advertising? Yeah. Come on. All right, fine. Google. <laughs> All right, there we go. We, now,
0: we're, now we're clear. I totally feel better now.
1: Okay, Good. Right, guys, how about that, right? Like, I would say we were 95% on the mark. We talked about broadband caps. We talked about mobile browsing, all sorts of stuff. Now, there were some things that we did not anticipate. We didn't talk about Google Fiber, right? We didn't necessarily get really deeply into net neutrality. We touched on it. So what I think we have to do now is another episode, right? We have to look another five years in the future. You guys need to know what the internet's going to be like in 2021. A liberal arts major, guys. Give me a break. So I am going to have a special guest join me for our next episode of Tech Stuff. That special guest is Ayaz Akhtar of CNET. Uh, Chris is off doing his own thing, so I didn't club them over the head like I did for episode, I think, 600. Uh, I am instead getting IAS to come in. We're going to talk about what we think the internet will be like in five more years. And you already have heard our track record. You know that we're pretty darn accurate. So I'm just saying, look forward to keeping score again in five more years. Until then, if you guys have any suggestions for future episodes of Tech Stuff, let me know about them. Send me an email. The address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com, or you can drop me a line on Facebook or Twitter. The handle at both of those places is techstuff, H-S-W. You guys take it easy, and I'll talk to you again really soon.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com.